Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Don Barclay. Don has dedicated over 30 years to working in different areas of the travel industry. Her recent book, Traveling Different, Vacation Strategies for Parents of the Anxious, the Inflexible, and the Neurodiverse, offers helpful tips to soothe children's travel anxieties. Dawn also writes fiction as DM Barr and holds leadership roles in several writer organizations. In today's conversation, we discuss why Dawn thinks everyone should travel, common struggles families face when traveling, practical tips to create a sense of routine, minimize sensory overload, and make a trip enjoyable for the whole family, advice for traveling by plane, cruise ship, or car, uncommon vacation ideas that might be suitable for families with autistic loved ones, the importance of building itineraries that include special interests, lessons Dawn learned from traveling with her own children, the difference between a certified autism center and an autism-friendly establishment, and how to introduce the idea of traveling and prepare children for a trip ahead of time. In this episode, discover what's possible when travel is made accessible. To learn more about Don Barclay, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Don Barclay. Hi, Don. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's start with a brief introduction. Yeah, so I have been a travel writer and travel reporter for um, close to 35 years. And I also grew up in the travel industry. My parents owned a couple of travel companies that I worked for. So I have written for four major travel trades prior to writing this book. Most recently, Insider Travel Report, where I run a column on family travel as well as special needs travel. And I also write fiction under DM Bar. All right. And do you have a personal connection to autism? I don't really talk about my kids because they're adults and I feel it would be an invasion of their privacy. But I will say that when I needed a book like this in the early 2000s, it didn't exist. So I wrote it. Got it. Okay. So yeah, what actually inspired you to sit down and write it yourself? Yeah, I started it, like I said, many years ago. I interviewed Tony Atwood, who's very big in autism circles, and I interviewed Dr. Ellen Littman, who's very big in ADHD, and then I kind of hit a wall because I didn't quite know where else to go to be able to get the interviews I needed. And the internet wasn't then what it was now with chat groups and, and things like that for special interests to the extent 
it is now. And it wasn't until 2018 when, uh, well, they did it a year before, but a group called IBCCES created a designation called the Certified Autism Travel Professional designation. And then I knew exactly how I could write the book because there were hundreds of people I could interview from there. Many of them are special needs parents themselves who have dedicated their practice to helping those on the spectrum. They introduced me to their clients, a lot more information on the web, pandemic where I had nothing to do, and I really don't like any having nothing to do, so I wrote this during that time. Okay. Yeah, we actually had a certified autism travel agent. Is that what it's called? Travel professional, yeah. Travel professional. Yeah, we had someone on the show. Her name is Dina Farmer. Do you know her? Oh, yes. Yes, I I don't know her, but I know of her. Yeah, she was able to share a lot of great insights also. So, you know, in preparation for this interview, I was looking at your website and was just kind of sifting through all of your travel photos. And you've been all over the world. I have. I've been very blessed. Uh, There are plenty of places I still want to go. And luckily, I'm still doing some travel reporting. So hopefully I'll get there. But yeah, I have been very lucky in that I've been traveling since I was two. And that was a long time ago. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you love about traveling? I love learning about other cultures. The same reason I think everybody should travel. I think there would be a lot less uh, bias in the world if everybody traveled and understood that their way isn't the only way and that there are cultures other than yours that have, you know, their own rules and uh, their own reason. And it's just wonderful to see, like when I was in Greece and standing on the Acropolis, I had studied it and I was sort of one of the few times I sort of said, wow, I can't believe I'm here. The other time was when I was taking the Star Ferry between Hong Kong and Kowloon, and I had loved a movie called um, The Secret World of Susie Wong. And I was like, wow, I'm actually doing what she did. So it's sort of like (laughs) really a cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely relate to that cultural piece. You know, with the Global Autism Project, one of our kind of values, I guess, is practicing cultural humility. We work at countries all over the world with our partners who are running autism centers there. And it's really eye-opening to go visit and see how autism is similar and how culture plays such a different role in people's perceptions and attitudes around it also. So where would you say would be the countries that are the most advanced in helping those on the spectrum? Hmm. Um. That's an interesting question because I think historically a lot of the research has come from the U.S., but I think there are countries out there that are doing things that you'd be surprised to learn about. Like, for example, one of our partners in Kenya has a center that is multidisciplinary. You know, it's like a one-stop shop for their families and their community where they have different kinds of therapies available for students. And it's through the lifespan. So they're also preparing them for vocational trade and helping them find employment also when they're done. So there's a big movement there towards awareness campaigns and acceptance. And when people think about Kenya, I think they might have some preconceived ideas of what's available. And so 
when we hear about stories like this from our partners that are doing amazing work on the ground, it's really inspiring. Like they're the real experts in their communities making change from the ground up. That's great to know. Yeah. So in putting together your book, what did you discover as some of the common challenges that families face when planning a vacation? Yeah, that's such a great question. The number one thing I found was that most people on the spectrum are not willing to travel. There was a survey taken by IBCCES back in 2018 of a thousand special needs families that revealed that 87% of the families were unwilling to travel. Of those, 93% said they would if they knew where to go and what to do and if they found that there were people with empathy that knew how to work with them. Now, that survey was updated in 2022, and I'm happy to report that that 87% number went down to 78%. The Mm. 93% number went up to 94. So there is a more of a willingness, even though more than three quarters still won't travel. I did go back to IBCCES and ask them what they thought was the reason behind that change. And they said there are organizations such as theirs doing such a great job of credentialing and making people aware of destinations and uh, venues that will work with those on the spectrum and are educated to help them. So that's a wonderful thing. The number one thing I found in my own research is that the people were scared to travel because they just didn't want to be judged. If their child had a sensory meltdown, they were scared that people would think that they were bad parents and their child was a brat and they just didn't want to deal with that. And it was just such an overwhelming experience to have to think of all the things that were involved. And that's why I sort of hope my book is a checklist to help them sort of navigate through what has to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of shame, I guess, that parents might feel isn't only when traveling, right? It's just Maybe for some families, whenever they go out into the community, into a grocery store or a public space where there's opportunity for them to be judged. And sometimes I guess there could be many reasons behind that. Like maybe they're not prepared to handle the meltdown and they don't know how to help their kid, or maybe they're just so concerned with what people will think of them. So what do you say to those families? Well, I was sort of raised to not care what people think. At least that was the mantra in my household. And I really wish that people would sort of grasp onto that. It doesn't matter what other people think. It only matters what you think. And the number one thing you should be concerned about is your child. Who cares what other people think? There are two different types of people in this world, people who know you and people who don't. The people who know you are going to work with you and have empathy for what you're going through. And the people who don't, you're never going to see again. So who cares what they think? Hmm. Yeah. Do you think there's something that maybe parents can say in the moment to make it a teaching opportunity for people around them? I think that there were people that I spoke to that do make an effort to explain to other people around them what's going on. Maybe they have little cards that are pre-printed that explain what their child is going through, or they just sort of give a smile, you know, like, hey, I'm going through this, um, you know, please bear with me. I, I apologize. And I, I realize this, this might be an inconvenience having to hear my child cry. But I think the number one thing they have to do, do is take their child aside to a quiet place and work with the child and remember that that's your number one priority. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's great to hear that organizations like IBCCES. Yes are providing training to different professionals 
or different community members even in how to handle these situations when they come up in public. Yeah, they're not the only ones doing the training. IBCCES, by the way, stands for the International Board of Credentialing and Continuing Education Standards. But there is Culture City and Sensory City and uh, Champion Autism Network and even Autism Speaks getting into the act, although they don't have any place travel related that's certified yet. But IBCCES trains professionals in working with the community as well as the venues and as well as the travel professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I just read that there is a new designation as far as there's autism certified city. Is that right? Like the there's, yeah, and I actually wrote something about that. There's two different designations, and I'd have to go back and look at it because Mesa, Arizona is w- the first autism city, but now there are uh, Visalia, California, and I believe Jacksonville is the first in Florida, and it's a different designation where they one goes beyond tourism, I believe. Mm-hmm. The Visalia, California example is the certified autism destination. And the Mesa, Arizona is the autism certified city. Yeah. And I guess, according to the article you wrote here, the difference is that the autism certified city is community-wide and it benefits residents. And that's where they train people in public safety and healthcare. Whereas the other one is more towards tourism. tourism. Yeah. So hospitality and making sure, I guess, that families are comfortable and they have the accommodations that they need. Yeah. Getting that answer is what delayed my article because the people that I was interviewing were sick. <laughs> so it's like everybody else's article came out before mine, but I thought that was a really important designation. Yes. You know, dif- differentiation to explain. Yes, definitely. Okay. So let's get into some hands-on practical tips. Let's say there's a family who has a child with sensitivities to loud noises and bright lights. Maybe they don't like crowds, but they need to move a lot to expel some energy. What are some vacation ideas that you might suggest to this family? Well, first of all, always travel with your noise-canceling headphones and with your dark glasses you know, your sunglasses, because that's really important. And if you're going to bring your noise-canceling headphones, bring electronics filled with your favorite or your child's favorite movies and TV shows as a distraction. So that's always a good idea too. But there are definitely places, you know, if you're going to consider family members who are neurotypical as well as neurodiverse, there are definitely vacations where everybody can be satisfied. One is a cruise with the major cruise lines have been trained Royal Caribbean was a leader in this, but the other ones have followed suit and they have trained people in the kids clubs to be able to work with both. And and they do have a level of training throughout the ship. What I like about cruises is that you don't have to unpack all the time and change, you know, your child can kind of get used to one room Mm. as opposed to keep changing because we want to keep things as predictable as possible. So they're going to be able to preview that room or that cabin before they get on the ship. You can, thanks to technology, preview all the aspects of the the ship before you get on. So that's going to create some predictability. There's the schedule. So that And you can read that schedule ahead of time if you do your research online so that you can create a routine. 
the child who is neurotypical can do other things or go to the kids club as well. And for those who are worried about big ships being a little overwhelming because they're so large, you find your own kind of tribe. So, you know, for the activities you want to go, there are smaller groups at those activities. You certainly don't have to go to the massive, you know, shows, although many of them will get you special seating and, you know, help you get out if you need to get out early. It's a matter of communication and making sure people know your situation. And there is a company called Autism on the Seas who books group tour uh, group cruises. So if you want to travel with others who have children on the spectrum, you know, trade ideas and tips and commiserate with each other, that's available to you too. The same thing with resorts like beaches, Turks and Caicos and beaches in Jamaica. They are the world's first advanced certified autism centers, which means they've been trained by IBCCES. And they've gone above and beyond with their signage and creating low sensory areas and specially designed areas for people on the spectrum to be, you know, less noisy and decor as well as sound. So those are good ideas, too, if you're just looking for, you know, what destinations to go to. But the purpose of my book was really to have strategies that can help turn any location into a place that would be suitable. Ah, okay, Got it. So what are some accommodations that parents should be asking for that might not be so obvious? Well, the first thing I would do is I would test drive the idea of staying in a bedroom other than your own or your child's own if they've never slept away from home before. So either go to a local cheap hotel for the night or stay at a friend's house or a relative's house who's kind and understanding and you're immediately going to see the triggers that arise, whether your child needs the sheets and blankets from home with the familiar smell and texture of home. Hmm. Key there is not to wash them before you go because you do want that smell. Same thing with the toiletries that they're used to from home. Do they need a fan in the room to block out sound from the hallway? Do they need a nightlight? You're going to find what's going to uh, create a trigger right away. What I feel comfortable with is um, vacation rentals are a great idea, as are hotel rooms with kitchens. So if you get residential hotels like um, uh, residence inns or any hotel with a kitchen or kitchenette, because that makes life a lot easier if you can prepare food or store food that you might need if the child has issues with restaurant dining. I would also look for a hotel with a pool if your child needs to have a way to you know, work off energy and the sensory benefits of being in a pool. Of course, you know your child. That might not be your child. Look for hotels that would offer you a virtual check-in with your phone if you don't want to deal with the hassles of check-in. You know, one person can go with the child to the room, the other one can check in, or you can do the whole thing virtually on your phone. That's often helpful. Yeah. You know, I, I do list uh, how to deal with houseboats because that's another way to sort of have a vacation rental on the water. Yeah. A little different. And the beautiful part of a vacation rental or a houseboat is this room if you want to bring a family member or a caretaker so you can have a little bit of time on your own. Right. Yeah. And what tips can you offer parents who want to take a plane versus, you know, a road trip? Yeah. So the beautiful part of road trips, lots of space to bring whatever you need, not so much on a plane, and that can get expensive, but you can always ship whatever you need as well. 
I have a whole chapter and it's one of the longest chapters in the book dedicated to airline travel. So I can only scan the surface, but what I would say is look for your local ARC. The ARC puts together programs called Wings for Autism that let you sample, dress rehearse the airport from arrival to boarding. And that's really key because that can be really chaotic, especially when you're going through security. You can also find out if your local airport offers TSA CARES, which is a program that in the best circumstances will give you someone to shadow you and get you through security and different aspects of the airport. It varies per location. So those are two really good tips. You can role play ahead of time, maybe set up chairs in your your home and give the child the instruction that you're not going to want to kick the, the seat in front of you. You maybe want to bring a remote control with you so that you can have the child press that instead of the attendant button. You're going to want to speak to the attendants when you get on the flight and inform them about your child and what your situation is. And of course, if you're booking through a certified autism travel professional, which I always recommend, they will advise every person involved in that trip, whether it's the airline, the hotel, the vacation rental, whatever, about your situation and send messages ahead of time, as well as be able to show you where you should stay. Yeah, that's very useful to just have someone on your side kind of handling all those logistics. Yeah. yeah, it's a you know use the book as much as you can, but if you want somebody to take that off your shoulders, there's there are great people out there. Right, I like that idea of setting up chairs at home to kind of simulate an airplane. There's definitely strategies to get the child ready for travel, whether it's the videos that I mentioned in advance, previewing every aspect, creating visual schedules, creating social stories for different aspects of the trip. And these mini experiences that can go beyond the hotel to be, um, you know, putting a tent out in the backyard before a big camping trip or before you take a cruise, maybe take a ferry ride, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, everything can be done in small uh, bites. Right. Yes. And what would you say are some uncommon vacation ideas that might actually be suitable for families with autistic loved ones? What I love and what surprised me are sports vacations. So there is adaptive skiing, surfing, scuba, and uh, golf. And so these are things that everybody in the family can enjoy, even going to a dude ranch and having horseback riding. They may not necessarily be set up for, quote, people on the spectrum, but a lot of the adaptive programs are. And so if a whole family decided to go skiing, you know, there'd be a program for the child who is neurodiverse. There'd be a programs for kids who are neurotypical. There would be my, my idea of the vacation would be getting dressed up and sitting by the fire in the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that lets everybody explore. And it for the child on the spectrum, you don't have to worry about it being a team sport and the social aspects that are involved in that. It's just sort of improving your own game or your own performance. Mm -hmm. I also strongly recommend building a trip around a child's pacing. So you're not doing everything all at once. You maybe go to one place instead of six and then spend the afternoon by the pool or in front of the TV to create, you know, some decompression time for your child and also building the trip around the child's special interests. If they're in love with dinosaurs, why aren't you going to a place where they can go to a dinosaur museum or see fossils or, mm. you know, why not 
make it a really memorable trip for everybody. And I think if you're dedicating the trip to revolve around a child's special interest, they're going to be able to deal perhaps better with the more mundane aspects of the trip because they have something to look forward to. Right. That can help in the whole preparation part leading up to the trip. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you kind of touched on this already, but do you have any other tips for families with children who really thrive in structured routine environments? Like how can they build in some of that even on a trip that is bouncing from one place to another? That's really up to you and your advanced research because you're going to know what the child needs. Does the child need to go to a playground every day? Then you're going to do research about where the nearest playground is, or maybe you're going to stay at a hotel that's close to the playground. You're going to make sure that you stay in a residence that has the different things you need, whether it's a pool or whatever it is. Maybe it's a a workout room, you know, like a a playroom, if Mm -hmm. they have such things, or, or a playground outside. You know what your child needs. So, and you know your child's schedule. So how can you best organize that trip to follow their, stick as closely as you can to the schedule that they are used to, or explain ahead of time that this is a vacation and the schedule is going to be kind of different, but you can create a visual schedule and go over it time and time again. Don't spring the trip on the child. You know, start your preparation as far in advance as you can. So the child is aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you able to share any stories of when you traveled and had some success? I can share when I didn't have success. Okay. (laughs) I, I have to be honest with you. I didn't do any of the things that are in this book. Okay. This book was a real learning experience for me. And when I, I had my, uh, book launch, my son was in the audience and he raised his hand at the end and said, so do you have any you know, thoughts about how you would have done things differently? <laughs> and I said, I would have done everything differently. <laughs> Building a trip around your special interest, who would have thought? <laughs> and he was very forgiving. You know, he's like, no, nah, I get it. But I, I didn't know. So, right. I, so I'm so glad that I'm able to help other families think about these things because, you know, I... I did the best I could. We mm-hmm. always stayed where we had pools. You know, I was a big proponent of kids clubs because it gave me some time off and it hopefully gave the kids some time they enjoyed. I found out after a particularly trying trip that my daughter didn't like kids clubs. And after that, we would keep my daughter with us wherever we went. Mm. So, you know, really listening. It's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and always checking in with your kid. One father that I interviewed found out the hard way that Disney does not serve ice cream before 10 a.m. <laughs> and his son wanted ice cream at nine and had a big meltdown. And he was smart and called his uh, certified autism travel professional who directed him to where he should go in the park to have a a meltdown, you know, without too much, too many people around or where the child could sort of decompress. Yeah. And, uh, they know now he same father also learned the hard way that you can't push too many activities into one day because his son fell asleep in his soup. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, rescued the child. No problem there. But he really, I mean, I had another mom who said, you know, after really having to carry my nine-year-old on my back, through theme parks, I figured out that maybe we do one attraction a day and we mm. just get the longer 
thing. You know, the theme parks have come such a long way. They have so many different provisions in place, and many of them are certified so that you can skip a lot of the lines. You can keep your stroller as a wheelchair. Stroller as wheelchair is a thing. Mm -hmm. And just life becomes easier. There are also good signage to tell you, so example, at SeaWorld, where the bad smells are, so you can make an informed decision about whether it's going to be worth tolerating the smell of the fish before you go and drag your child to uh, feed the seals. (laughs) Yeah, I would have never even thought about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what would you say to parents who, you know, maybe had a really bad experience and they're just not willing to go through it again. And they're like, I'd rather just stay home and, you know, watch vacation movies. Well, I I think that's a real shame because they can take what they learned from the trip they were on and where it went wrong and perhaps read the book and figure out some other strategies and get together if they have a support group, there might be people they can talk to about what alternate strategies might have existed. Same thing if they have an OT or professionals that they work with, what would you suggest in these situations? I'm not saying that if you follow this book, you're never going to have a meltdown. My goal is to alleviate most of the meltdowns, but you may have a meltdown and you should learn from it and say, what could I have done differently? For next time, because there should be a next time, you know, and the child is evolving and you're evolving and you're getting older and why, you know, deprive yourself. You're entitled. The world is waiting and you're as much entitled to see it as anyone else. I love traveling, too. And I think people who love traveling can see the benefit and the cultural awareness that you learn. And I'm wondering if there's anything specific for families with autistic loved ones like why they should travel. What could it bring them and their family specifically because they have an autistic loved one? I think they may find, and again, it's going to depend on the child, that it's a growing experience and the child is capable of a lot more than you gave them credit for, but you're not going to know if you don't try. I think travel is travel for everyone. It's interesting. It's different. It gets you out of your routine. And again, I know you want to stay in your routine, But it's a way for the child to learn that maybe you can make slight alterations and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's such a hard question to answer because I grew up traveling. Yeah, right. And for me, it's like breathing. Mm -hmm. So for those who can make it work, I think it's a bonding experience. And you're creating memories that I think you're going to want to create while the child is young before they grow up and they're they're out of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of what we're talking about is geared towards parents, but how can some of this also be applicable for adults with autism? I do have a section of the book that's for older children and talks about travel camps that might be of interest as well as um, different things you can do. I mean, a lot of the provisions for the younger kids sort of don't exist when you get older. I think that Beaches does have a program for autistic or those with autism that are older. And the cruises, there's a lot to do, even though the kids' clubs are not going to be applicable. But I'd also look into autism on the seas for adults and and the travel clan the travel camps, as well as a wilderness inquiry, which has outdoor tours for people 
of all abilities and their families. So the travel camps tend to be just for the older children, teens and older, but will disability, you can go with your family or friends. Okay, great. So your book is titled Traveling Different Vacation Strategies for Parents of the Anxious and Flexible and the Neurodiverse. And you released this last summer, right? August of 2022. Great. And where can people get a hold of it? Well, the publisher is Roman and Littlefield, so they do have it on their website. You can, of course, get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it from any independent bookstore. It'll be on their website as opposed to on their shelves, and they can order it for you. And I do ask kindly that you ask your library to stock it because that way, if people can't afford it, they're able to read it and access it. The book is available in both hardcover and audiobook. And I'm hoping for a paperback version, but if it comes out, it won't be before next summer. Okay. I also want to just say that the blog that you quoted from travelingdifferent.com updates and supplements the book and also includes other information that might be of interest as well as how to order the book. Okay, great. So we'll put links to both of those in our show notes so people can get it. I think it's really important if you purchase my book to know that when I talk about destinations and venues and hotels and everything else, I either list them as CAC, which means Certified Autism Center, or AF, which means Autism Friendly. CAC means that they've been trained by IBCCES, so there's a standard of training that you can trust. AF can mean anything because they may have been trained by some of the other groups that I spoke about, or they just may decide, oh, we're autism friendly, but it means different things to different people. And it may not be right for your child as well. So I think rather than just take everything I say as gospel, which is nice, but it wouldn't be accurate, you should do your own due diligence, call any place that you plan to travel, ask them about how they got their designation, what it means, what they provide, and decide if it's going to be right for your child. Also verify the addresses, things change, believe it or not. There were museums that I found had changed addresses. (laughs) I corrected them. It's one of the reasons I run the blog is to update those things. And Just make sure it's right for you and make sure that what they offered is offered when you're going to be there. Because if a museum is offering a low sensory afternoon, but it's only one Saturday a month, it's not going to do you much good if that's not the Saturday you're in town. So that's really an important thing to remember. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'd like to close with one last question. So what advice would you give to parents who are you know, in that early stage, they're on the fence, they have that hesitancy. What is something that can help with that mindset shift in knowing that they can actually do this? Well, I think just introduce slowly the concept of travel to the child and see how they react on a local, inexpensive level. So read the child picture books with their favorite characters and travel situations Hmm. or go uh, to a local museum or a local, like a kid's museum or not. It could be their special interest or a local aquarium, a local zoo, even a flea market can be a place that you create a scavenger hunt and call it a tour because if they have a good experience, then that can translate to a good positive memory for when you go on a real tour. Also go to 
ethnic bakeries or restaurants from different cultures and have the child eat before you go. So if they get hungry, that they won't get too hungry, but they may sample some of the food. There's a whole chapter in restaurant dining, okay, which I think is important. I mean, there's a whole chapter on camping. Mm-hmm. So it's not only expensive vacations. So I would just say start small and introduce it slowly. Okay. That's great advice. All right, Don. Well, thank you so much for sharing your tips with us. And we will, like I said, put everything in our show notes so everyone has access to your book. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. As cliche as it sounds, travel really can offer opportunities for personal growth, as well as open your mind to new perspectives about the world around you. Speaking of travel, we're now accepting applications for our SkillCore volunteer program in July. If you're a self-advocate wanting to share your life experiences, a professional working in the field of autism services, or a family member looking to connect with the global community, our SkillCore program is an opportunity you don't want to miss. Work alongside our global autism partners to help ensure that all autistic individuals around the world have access to quality education and services. To learn more about our SkillCore program, check out episodes 100 and 132, featuring SkillCore volunteers that have been to our partner sites in Saudi Arabia and India. Listen to them talk about their transformative experiences and see what SkillCore can offer you. Begin your journey today at skillcore.globalautismproject.org. As a listener of our show, take advantage of the coupon code AUTISMPODCAST, that's no space in all caps, to waive the application fee. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.